I so look forward to these times where as a church family we can just join together and and sing to the Lord. And while I also look forward to the times when we open up His Word and study the only book God ever wrote, one day when we're in eternity, we won't do this part anymore because we will be with Him and we will know Him. But we will be doing what we've just done, and that is praising Him. And it just gives us a little bit of a glimpse into what awaits us and the satisfaction that we are going to find when we're with Him. We are in a series here at Faith Bible Church talking about God's attributes. Those descriptions, characteristics, traits that define who God is. And we've stated at the beginning of our series that we can know God right now. We can know Him. Not fully right now, but truly know Him. Romans 1 tells us that God revealed Himself in His creation, but people pushed God away. So God, in the depths of His love for us, gave us a special revelation of Himself in the person of Jesus Christ and also in his word. And it's to that word that we look. And in this series, we're looking to see who God is. We started out talking about the spirituality of God, that God is spirit, that he is present everywhere. At any spot, God is fully there. God gives a spirit an inner person to every human, so that as humans we are able to actually have a relationship with God in our spirit, with God who is spirit. We also stated that God is invisible. And last week we looked at how Moses in Exodus chapter 33 spent so much ongoing time with God and getting to know God and talking with God that he wanted to know more of God and more of God to a point where he asked to see God because Moses Moses knew there would be no deeper satisfaction than to see God. And God gave him a true glimpse of the outshining of the majesty of himself and all of his attributes. And we saw in Revelation chapter 22 that one day we not only will see Jesus Christ face to face, but most likely we will also have that glimpse that Moses got to see in Exodus 33, that glimpse into the splendor and the grandeur of God, the outshining of his attributes. And it will be the most fulfilling glimpse we will have ever seen. God desires to reveal himself and today we are looking yet at, once again, at another attribute of God, God's knowledge. What God knows. Now this morning we're going to see that God perfectly knows himself. And God knows all things that are, and all things that will be, and even all things that could be. We are going to see that God knows all things. 
At once he knows all things. From eternity he has known all things. If you would come to God and say, God, how many pebbles of sand are there on the face of the earth? God wouldn't have to say, well, let me count. He would know. God doesn't have to learn. His knowledge is complete. God doesn't have to ponder a solution to a problem. He knows. His knowledge is full. Which includes the knowledge of you and me. This morning as we're going to talk about God's knowledge, I want us each to think about a very critical question. And this is it. How should my knowledge of God's knowledge affect my everyday life? I'll say it one more time. How should my knowledge of God's knowledge affect my everyday life? We have a men's ministry here at Faith Bible Church, and this past Wednesday morning we kicked off a new series called the 33 series after the 33 years of Jesus' life. And we're in a particular study called A Man and His Traps. And we started out looking at the topic of idols. Our study defined an idol as anything that competes with God for our hearts. We started talking about surface idols, those things that are very much visible that, that men tend to put in the place of God. But then in our study, we talked about a very critical distinction between surface idols and those deep idols. Those, those three main idols that men worship that the surface idols are just depicting. And they define those three deep idols as this. Control, significance, and comfort. Wow, did that hit me. When, and when the word control was verbalized, it was just like, boom, that's me. If I have everything planned, if I have redundancy built into my plan, so if something fails, I can go to this, and especially if I can have redundancy to my redundancy, then I just feel so much more secure. I want to have everything figured out, and I want to have it all under control. And then we read this verse out of Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21, that that says this. Many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. I thought, oh man. And you know, I think the thing that really hit me about that study was my study during the work about what God knows. Because if I really believe 
that God knows me intimately. And that God's knowledge not only covers me, but my spouse and my my adult married sons and my other son and their spouses and my grandchildren. And, and if God's knowledge encompasses Faith Bible Church and my ministry at Faith Bible Church, what a radical difference my knowledge of God's knowledge should be making in my ability to rest. And I don't think it was a mistake that I was talking, studying about God's knowledge this week. At the same time, we started talking about the idol of control for me. So I want us all to kind of walk along that same journey today in asking this question. What or how should my knowledge of God's knowledge affect how I am living out my everyday life? Now to begin today, I want us to look at two principles. Principle number one is this. God knows himself and all things realized and unrealized, meaning everything that already is and everything that will be. So that's principle number one. God knows himself and all things realized and unrealized. And to begin looking at this, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Job in the Old Testament. If you don't know where Job is, look it up in the front of your Bible, get a page number and go to Job, and then make your way to chapter 37 of the book of Job. Now, just quickly, a little thumbnail sketch of Job. You'll remember that the book of Job is about a guy named Job. And Job loves God. He's yielded to God. He obeys God. He loves Him. And God has blessed Job. He has enriched Job materially and with family and, and good health. And, and Job has just been greatly blessed by God. Well, Satan enters the picture and goes into the throne room of God and says, God, there's no question that Job loves you. I'd love you too if you gave me all the stuff you've given Job. You've made life so easy on him, of course he's going to love you. You take all that stuff away from him, he'll curse you. And God says, go ahead. You can take away everything. You can take away everything except his life. And that's what Satan does. And Satan takes away his vast holdings of wealth. And Satan takes away his children family. Satan even takes away his health. So we're left with Job in ill health. Everything gone. And yet he doesn't curse God yet. Along come three friends, quote unquote friends of Job. These three guys named Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. If any of you in this room ever have triplets, I would encourage you not to name them Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar for a multitude of reasons, but one of which, these guys aren't too cool. But along comes these three guys, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. 
And Eliphaz, Bill, Ben, Zophar come to Job and they say, Job, you're suffering because you've sinned. Simple. You confess your sin to God and he'll restore his blessing on you. And Job says, I haven't. And so for chapter after chapter, we see this argument between Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar and Job. And finally, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar get so tired of arguing with Job, they leave. But Job's situation doesn't change. In fact, Job's expecting God to speak. And he wants God to tell him, you know, you're right, I've given you a bum deal, I've hurt you, um, I'm going to restore my blessing on you. But God doesn't speak. And Job's frustrated. Enters the story a fifth character, a guy named Elihu. And Elihu's frustrated frustrated with Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, and he's frustrated with Job. And so Elihu, in chapter 30 through 32 through 37, is going to give four speeches. Speech number one is an introduction. Hey, I'm Elihu. Speech number two is saying that God's just. Speech number three is God is sovereign. And speech number four is a combination thereof. And in speech number four, in chapters 36 and 37, we come to verse 16, and Elihu says to Job, Do you know about the layers of the thick clouds, the wonders of one perfect and knowledge. Hey, Job, explain to me. How do those clouds get hung up in the sky? And while you're at it, why don't you explain to me the perfect, complete knowledge of God? You see, Elihu's making a point. Why are you angry at God? He knows a whole lot more than you do. Turn with me in your New Testament, clear to the back, right before the book of Revelation, to the little book of 1 John. And in 1 John, there's times in 1 John, places in this little letter of 1 John, where the Apostle John, as he writes, gives some pretty stern warnings. You know, if you're a Christian, we need to be seeing that. But John also knows that some of his readers will be very tender-hearted and will be harder on themselves than God is. And so when we come to chapter 3, verses 13 through 22, John's almost putting his arm around his readers and, and reminding them, hey, by the way, don't doubt your relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and one of the things that can encourage you in your relationship with Jesus Christ is you're loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. That didn't come from any, from nowhere. That's God's work in your life. And that's an, that's an affirmation to you that you are indeed a Christian. And we come down to verse 19. It says, We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before Him. In whatever our heart condemns us, for God's greater than our heart and knows all things. God knows your heart better than you do. That's what John's saying. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we looked at this passage a couple of weeks ago. We find... The Apostle Paul explaining that God knows himself. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. 
So the Spirit of God knows God. What's really neat is the verses go on and explains in verse 12 that as a Christian, we receive the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God comes in and takes up residence in us. And in verse 12, it tells us why. So that we may know the things freely given to us by God. So here we have a God who's perfect in knowledge, who wants to reveal himself to you and to me. He wants us to know him. And today, as we see, he wants us to know that he knows. Go to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. In the book of Matthew, we find here in the fifth chapter, actually we're going to go to the sixth chapter of Matthew, Jesus talking about prayer. And in this section, we see Jesus talking about the Pharisees, those religious guys of the day who act so that others can see them. So when they pray, they're praying more for the people than actually talking to God and using all kinds of flowery speech and all kinds of repetitive phrases. And Jesus says, don't be like that. When you pray, you're talking to God. Verse 8, don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. You don't have to say the same thing over and over and over and over. God already knows what you need before you even verbalize it once. Look at chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Discussion about sparrows. Those pesky sparrows always emptying out your bird feeder. Those sparrows that probably not many of us in this room really care much about. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the Father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear, you are more valuable than many sparrows. God knows you so well, he knows the number of hairs on your head. For some of us, that's easier for God than others. He knows the very hair on your head. God knows you intimately. And there's no passage of Scripture that talks more about that than Psalm 139. So let's go there and park there just for a minute. Psalm 139. Remember, the Psalms are hymns. Just like we have a hymnal and there's hymns in it. That's what the Psalms are. This is Israel's hymnal. And Psalm 139 actually has four stanzas. Stanza number one, stanza number two, stanza number three, stanza number four. In these four stanzas, stanzas, and each stanza has six verses to it, the psalmist, attributed to David here, is talking about three big theological words. Omniscience, omnipresence, and omnipotence, which means... That God knows everything, he's everywhere, and he's all-powerful. In the first stanza, the first six verses of this psalm, David is focusing on what God knows. Let's read it together. O Lord, you've searched me and known me. 
You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You've enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain to it. David is saying, God, you know me. You know me intimately. You know when I get up in the morning. You know when I lie back down. You know what I'm going to say before it ever exits my mouth. In fact, this knowledge of God's knowledge is so overwhelming to David that in verse 5, he's actually frustrated about it. He says, God, I feel like I'm hemmed in by you. You know everything about me. Look at verse 5. You've enclosed me behind and before, laid your hand on me. But then in verse 6 he says this. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot, cannot attain to it. If we're going to put that in everyday language today, David would be saying, God, your knowledge of me blows my mind. I just can't get my arms around it. I cannot comprehend the concept that you know me better than I know me, that you know everything about me, my past, my present, my future. In fact, look down at verse 16. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. David saying when he was just a little dot inside of his mother, God saw all of him. And in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. You know, there's some Bible teachers that try to explain away that verse, and they say, well, what that verse is trying to say is that God just knows how long we're going to live. But that's not consistent with Psalm 139. That's not consistent with the first six verses. What David is saying is, God, you orchestrate my life. You have it planned. My boys, when they were in high school, were all three involved in athletics. Two were involved in music, in orchestra. I'd have to realistically say that the thing that I enjoy the most was watching the music, not the athletics. Because I can actually rest and relax just listening to that orchestra. And where they went to high school, they have a great orchestra. Just listening to those parts come in and out. Now, if you would just isolate, like you say, okay, let's listen to that entire piece, but just listen to the string bass. They, oh, man. That's, you know, it'd be kind of like when I was in band, just listening to the tuba part, the entire song. It's like boom, 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 boom. But when you put it all together, it's phenomenal. You'd miss those tubas. And sometimes we don't understand what God's doing in our life or the life of our kid, or our grandchild, or this good friend that we care so deeply about, or my own life. We don't. It doesn't make sense to us, but it makes sense to God. You see, He is orchestrating your life and my life for His best. God knows. Now we're asking the question... 
how does my knowledge of God's knowledge, how should that be affecting my life? And each of us need to be answering that for ourselves. But here's some general principles that I think can help you. Here's principle number one. He is doing his best in your life for his glory. Bank on it. God is doing his best in your life for his glory. Do I always understand it? No way. Do you always understand it? Nope. But I guarantee you this. God is doing his best in your life for his glory. Principle number two. I'm not in control. Oh, that one hurts. If you're a parent here today, do you remember when you first started to come to the realization that you're not in control? Oh, it's hard. And even what's worse is when you come to the realization that you really never were. I'm not in control, but God is. And principle number three, in answering the question, how should my knowledge of God's knowledge affect my everyday life? Here's principle number three. If God is really intimately aware and knows you, if God is really orchestrating your life, if God is doing his best in your life for his glory, then I should never have to worry about the future or be mad at my present. If God's doing his best in your life for his glory, I should never have to worry about the future or be mad at the present. My middle son attended college in Minneapolis, Minnesota for four years. Now I have a son at the University of North Dakota. He'll be there five years. That's nine years of driving on Interstate 35. I know the trip from Cedar Rapids to St. Paul quite well. I can tell you how long it takes to get from my house to the BP gas station at Floyd. I can tell you how long it takes to get from Floyd to Cabela's. I can tell you how long it takes to get from Cabela's. Those are the important things. To get from Cabela's to Al's Breakfast, downtown Minneapolis. I know the route. And I, I'm a creature of habit. I always stop at the same place. I figured out if I fill up at Floyd, at BP, I can go to the cities, and if I don't mess around too much, I can get back to BP. I can keep Iowa gas in my car. And I always stop at the same place, the Bridge Street exit in Owatonna, Minnesota. Every time, every time I go up, every time I come back, I always stop at the Bridge Street exit. Well, why? Because there's a Starbucks there. And that's when I need my coffee. I have to have a coffee at Bridge Street exit, Owatonna, Minnesota. Doesn't make any difference which direction, that's where I stop. Last time I stopped at the Bridge Street exit, Owatonna, Minnesota, there was construction. Now, there's always construction on Interstate 35. It's enough to drive a sane man crazy. There's always construction. And this time it was really bad. My last trip, it was just literally stopped right at the entrance ramp from Bridge Street onto 35. 
I have my coffee. I'm feeling good. And now I have to get onto the interstate. I look up the entrance ramp, and there's a spot. I accelerated at the proper speed and took my spot. And the guy behind me went crazy. He started to honk, and he held his horn in. Honk, 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 honk. I thought I was back in India in traffic. He just kept honking, honking, honking. He's making all kinds of gestures. And every fiber in my body wanted to put my car in the park, open my door, go right back to the guy and say, What's the point? All I did was get some coffee. All I wanted to do was get back on the interstate. I have to pull in someplace. You can tell I haven't quite worked through this, haven't you? <laughs> I mean, what's the point? Why are you so mad at me? All I did was merge on. Oh, we hate it. We hate it when we feel like there's been injustice, when it's not fair. And you know what? We do the same thing with God. If if somebody else's life seems like it's going better than mine, oh God, what are you doing? Why do I always have to be the one that has everything go wrong? That guy over there just seems like it always is smooth for him. Why can't you send a little smooth my way? Right? We're asking the question, how should my knowledge of God's knowledge affect how I'm living out my everyday life? If I truly believe that God is doing his best in my life for his glory, I don't have to worry about the future, or I don't have to get angry at my present. Regardless of my circumstances, regardless of whether or not I can, it makes sense to me. If I really believe that God is orchestrating my life to his glory, even though I don't understand how my life fits into his orchestrated peace, it does. Now, the Bible is so cool. It gives us so much depth into the knowledge of God. It actually shows us that God not only knows what's realized and what's unrealized, it actually tells us that God knows what is potentially realized but will never come to pass. And just to look briefly at that, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 23. 1 Samuel chapter 23. In 1 Samuel 23, we see this. God knows the possibility of everything. God knows the possibility of all things. In 1 Samuel 23, we have David being pursued by his father-in-law. Guys, you ever kind of feel like your father-in-law is out to get you? David's was. Literally. And as David's trying to flee from his father-in-law, he comes across this Israelite city, Kilah. And they've been besieged by the Philistines, so David rescues them. And he decides to remain in Kilah for a little bit, 
And he prays to God, and in verse 10 he asks the Lord, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has heard for certain that Saul's seeking to come to Kila to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Kila surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down just as your servant has heard? O God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. Then David said, Will the men of Kila surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will surrender you. Then David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Kilah, and they went wherever they could go. When it was told Saul that David had escaped from Kilah, he gave up the pursuit. You see, it never came to realization. But God's knowledge is so vast that God knows even the possibility of all things. Turn to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 11. In Matthew chapter 11, we have Jesus with a message to three cities where he did great miracles. And his basic point is this, I did phenomenal miracles for you, and yet you stand in unbelief. If I would have done those same miracles in the three most wicked cities that there are, they would have turned in repentance. So we look in Matthew chapter 11, and we read in verse 21, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago. Look down at verse 23. You, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades, for if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. You see, God's knowledge is so vast and so deep that he not only knows things realized and unrealized, he even knows things potential. Things that are possible that never come to being. That's how vast God's knowledge is. This week, this past week, one of our local grocery stores had pork loin for $1.99 a pound. Now that's a deal. I mean, pork's the other white meat. That backstrap on the top of that hog is just pure, great meat. Now, one of my pet peeves is to go to a, a grocery store and look in the, the deli case at what we used to call lunch meat. Now they have fancy names for it. It's like seven bucks a pound. Why should I pay seven bucks a pound for something that's injected with salt and water and preservatives when I can get this awesome pork line. I have to take the whole thing, but that's okay. This awesome pork line for a buck ninety-nine a pound. So we bought it. We brought it home. We seared it off. Sliced it. It's phenomenal. Buck ninety-nine a pound. Best deal in town. Now, I have a few quirks. Might surprise you, but I do. I don't like plastic. I don't. If I could get my milk and glass, I'd want my milk and glass. Don't Ever give me a plastic cup? I don't want a plastic cup. I want a glass glass. My Coke Zero tastes so much better in a glass than plastic. I, oh, no, no plastic cups in the Benton's house. And as much as possible, we don't use plastic storage containers. Glass is so much better. So it's my job to slice up the pork. Perfect slices. Oh, you'd be proud of me. Very nice slice job. And it's time to package it. And I get out my glass containers, and all I've got, all I'm finding is little round ones like this. But my pork is like rectangles. Now I'm faced with a choice. Do I get a bigger container 
Or do I make the meat fit in to the container that I want it to fit into? Since I'm partial to glass, I chose the latter. And so I scrunched my nice pork loin into little round containers. Just messed it up terrible. You know, that's kind of a stupid example. But we do the same thing with God, don't we? We've got this big God, but we like to scrunch him into a container that we think we understand. And by doing it, we actually violate who God is. There's some Bible teachers, some theologians in the recent years that have actually been arguing that God doesn't know. They say that it is inconsistent with the free will of people. If I have a choice to make, there's no way that God knows what's going to happen to me in the future because if he does, then I don't have a choice. And thus they conclude that God doesn't know what's going to happen as a result of Human choice. Now, they're wrong. What they're doing is they're trying to take their container and put God into it. What we've got to do, if we can't figure it out, we need a bigger container. I've got to expand my mind even to a point where I can say what David said. Hey, this just blows my mind. I can't totally figure it out. And I can't. The scriptures teach that each and every one of us have real choice. And we do. Our choices have eternal significance, and they do. The scriptures also teach that God orchestrates your life. He knows every day of your life before it even day one. I can't figure that out. I don't have a box that's big enough for it. But instead of trying to scrunch that truth so that it fits into my finite mind, I just say I need a bigger box. A God-sized box, and I don't have one. So I have to do what David says. It's mind-blowing. And isn't it good that it is? But here's the question for you and for me. How should my knowledge of God's knowledge be affecting my everyday life. Do I really believe that God is doing his best in my life for his glory? Do I really believe that in the life of my adult child or my grandchild, that God is doing his best in his or her life for his glory? doesn't mean I have to understand it. I mean, right now that may look like the tuba part. If you have any tuba players in here, I apologize, but I... Guess you can agree with me that sometimes your life was boring. But I don't have to understand it, but I can take confidence in this. God is doing his best in your life for his glory. He knows how it fits together. He knows what he's doing because he knows.